18 Sundays after Pentecost, dear Father in heaven, you have revealed your love to us in Jesus Christ, your only Son. Now grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we love you with our whole heart and our neighbors as ourselves, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, uh, we're still getting logistics out. I know it's still a little bit warm in here. We're still um, playing around. This room doesn't have a window you can open. So, you know, we could open. Uh, Jonathan, are you still there? Where'd you go, buddy? Can you just pop that door open back there? We'll see if we can. We know that it gets warm. We're working on it. We have to figure out. There's this big boiler that tells the whole building, you know, what the temperature should be. We've just got to figure out where it's most fun. Mr. Scheidt, there you go. Pass that back to your lovely wife. Um, some of you have said these aren't getting all the way around. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, man. That's right. You're to your sister-in-law. Sorry. Mike, confused. Okay, there you go. Some of you said these weren't getting around, so we'll try to send a few more. We're going to send it to Ghana. Uh, you know, Paul Finn carries on, so uh, we'll carry on and help Paul Finn. Uh, and then um, I just put this up for you. You know, the great thing... You know, the great thing about living in Chicago is you're two years behind anything. So, um, you know, it, whatever's happening in Paris right now, you men, you can fly to Paris today, and you can buy it for your wife at the end of the season sale, give it to her next year. She'll still be a year ahead. So it goes Paris, and then a year behind is New York, and then a year behind after that is Chicago. So anyway, this is, this. Uh, my wife found this. She sent it on to Pastor Gainig and to me. A couple of you saw it this week in Bible study, but this thing is all the rage, and um, it just is, you know, this is new, a New York City church, you know, 84 Broadway, uh, you know, there it is. Um, whatever, you know, whatever is coming next, postmodernly, kind of looks like that, so I just put it there. The fact that that is a, how a church would advertise itself, uh, you know, between the incense and you don't, not just high mass, solemn high mass, which must be somewhat better than a high mass, you know, I don't know, <laughs> guess that's better, um, and you know, that's just, you know, that's the, the Christ Church in New York City, so I just sort of put it out there, sometimes uh, you, you seem, and actually if you're not, you should probably chat with me, but you seem mostly very comfortable with what's going on, I'll just tell you in terms of the service, and wherever Jonathan is, well played this morning, thank you very much if you're at the first service, that was seamless. That's how we wanted to feel every time. Everything worked. It was on time. You did a great job at the rail. The ushers did a great job. The music was fantastic. You know, Pastor Ganey was great. Everything just kind of moved. That's what we want to feel. And we were out in 59 minutes, which is our goal. 60 minutes. We know, we know, we, you know, we're, we know where we're supposed to be every 15 minutes. We know where we should be. And, you know, the goal really is to get you out because that's kind of your expectation. And we also want the time for you to have some fun. So, you know, there you go. Uh, but anyway, well played. And, you know, if there's anything, you seem to be okay with the kneeling and the sitting. We were just, um, you know, we didn't quite know how that would be. We thought we would kind of put everything in. And now, real honestly, I don't foresee any big changes for a long time. We, you all just need to settle in now and develop that as your normal rhythm. And that's the direction we're kind of going. If you have anything that's just, like, got you going the wrong way, you should probably, you know, chat with me. You know, there were things for me that were a little edgy, um, you know, the bell at the Eucharist, um, kneeling for the proper preface. I didn't know how you'd do with that. But everybody just seems to kind of be playing along. Um, if it's good, you should let me know. If you're uncomfortable, you should let me know. But really, as I've, when we plan worship during the week, what we've said is, you know, we've had a lot of change. We've moved to a new building. We're in a new sanctuary. We're still, you know, dinking around with the sound. 
Actually, I should just ask you. Well, let me come back to the sound in a second. So we're dinking around with the sound. We're trying to get communion right. We want the music and the, and the, the celebrant and liturgy folks to be working together. Some weeks we have it and 20 things go wrong. Some things, you know, everything seems to come off. The 8.30 service just kind of was seamless. That's how we want. It was well played. Jonathan did a great job. Um, you know, just, just kind of move through. We want it to be comfortable for you. Um, so anyway, I don't foresee, and so when we plan, we kind of say, we've had a lot of change. We're just going to let everything settle in now. So, you know, now's the time to chatter, but in another couple of weeks or a month, things are just going to just be what they are, and we're just kind of let them, let them kind of go. Um, we have experimented with the incense a little bit. We've done it at both services. Our goal, you know, I know that some of you have, um, are allergic to it and, and, or don't prefer it. Um, I know other people really want it. You know, our goal is to, um, my goal would be to just get the visual plus enough smell like the perfume of the woman sitting next to you, see? So we're not trying to, I mean, there are some days we blow it out and, you know, dis- the celebrant disappears in a deep cloud. <clears throat> and you, you remember in the Old Testament, that was the point. One of the points of the incense was... The, the Holy of Holies was completely dark. You remember this. It was completely dark. You went through kind of a maze of tapestry. It was completely dark. But to make sure it was completely dark, he also burned so much incense that he couldn't see. You didn't want a glimpse of God. You were going to a holy place. I mean, it was meant to, it was meant to be like fog that you couldn't see through. Because if you see God face to face, you're dead. And you see, that's the great cool thing about Jesus. You see Jesus face to face and you live. You see God face to face and you live. It's a stunning thing. But in the Old Testament, the, the, the incense was supposed to be so thick you couldn't see through it. Read Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, when, Paul, uh, when Isaiah gets taken up to heaven, he says, heaven is filled with incense. It's filled with smoke. It's the smoke of incense. It's filled with incense so that you, you, you don't cast your eyes. You, know, you cast up and look at the Heavenly Father and you're done for. Okay? Now, we don't need to go that far, but we do kind of want the visual and just a hint of the smell. So what I'm trying to do is, and I know, I know you'll resonate with this, I'm trying to please everybody. <laughs> right? So that the people who want it get it, and the people who, you know, you know kind of are, I, I'm hoping they'll say, well, I saw it, but I didn't smell it. And the people who smell it, smell it. You know? So that's, what we're, that's kind of what we're working at. We're adding, we started with two grains you know, last week and or two weeks ago, maybe in the eleven o'clock service, it wasn't enough. But, you know, we got to pyramid them up a little bit. We're just we're adding incense by the grain till we get where we want to go. So, you know, in any case, keep us posted. Now, I had one thing else I wanted to say, but I don't quite remember what sound. Just thank you very much for the sound. How? how uh, no, it is. I mean, no, I really because everybody is different. How is the sound? Can you hear? Raise your hand if it's raise your hand if you just can't hear at all. Ooh, that's helpful. It's better. Now, part of it is, so the last thing we say to each other is, and this is true, don't mumble and go slowly. Do you feel like it's dragging? Is it too slow when we speak to you? Okay, that's interesting because I have the sense that, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't want to be insulting to you in the way that I speak. And so I don't want to be so slow that you, it's like you're doing this to me or it's like kindergarten. We go a little faster if it's printed in front of you because you can read along, right? You can fill in the blanks. Um, my key is when somebody preaches in front of me. You know, I put the text down and I just try to listen. Can I understand him? I understand, too, that I'm in a bad spot. I'm behind him. 
So I'm getting two kinds of sound. It's, it's coming out of speakers, and I'm also getting the reflected sound. But in general, we're trying to figure it out, but it is kind of trial and error. The guys on the soundboard have been doing a great job. We're just trying to figure it out. But in general, if we speak slowly, you can understand. Is that right? All right. Uh, you know, generally to fix it more, there's a couple of things you can do. You can add some speakers. That's expensive. You can put some, if you need to, some muffling in, but you've got to be so careful with that. You normally have to hire acoustical guys. Back when we were buying the organ, we would say, how much does an organ cost? The voice on the other end would say, a million dollars. We'd call the next guy. How much does an organ cost? A million dollars. And the next guy, how much does it? I'm like, does every organ cost a million dollars? You know, and then when we talk to sound guys, sound guy, how much does a sound guy cost? A hundred thousand dollars. We call the next guy, how much does a sound guy cost? A hundred thousand dollars. Like, you gotta be kidding me. That's six numbers in a row. That's really a big number. So um, we're working on it, but we just keep going. Dave, question? Yeah, no, a comment. Um, one of the things that might help you Yeah. Is that I found that if I cannot understand what is being said, right? The time seems to go slower. Yeah. Are you talking about church or talking to your wife? <laughs> Anywhere. Anywhere. It's a universal rule. Where is your wife, by the way? Not here. We're not going to talk about her behind her back. Okay. I take that back. Uh, my wife. That's what I meant to say. Although I don't know she. Anyway. All right, so we're working at it gently. I tell you, we, every, it's a test for us. Every time we go out, we try to figure it out. We're trying to get it right. There's some level where, the, I mean, what we really don't want to do is mute the music, which is fantastic, and the organ is going to appear, you know, Easter-ish, and that's going to change everything again. And we've got to just figure that out. So, but I'm just telling you, what you see is what we're just trying to tamp down now and make comfortable and common. Okay? We're not looking for any huge change. We're just trying to get it right every Sunday. We want you to get it right every Sunday, too. If there's something that we just have wrong, now is the time to let us know. But gently, because I tell you, a lot of people, there's a dozen people every week who are watching the service trying to get it right. Okay? Good? Yes, Mrs. King. Yeah. I think there's only... So here's what I think I see, but I'm not... Well, I think it normally as you're facing the altar, I think it blows right to left. That's normally what happens. It blows this way. So you probably want to sit backer, le- backer, righter, okay? Backer, righter. But the other thing is, is um, always informing people of incense is kind of like, there's probably, I probably know a dozen people all in, including my wife, who gets a bad headache from it. I probably know a dozen people in the whole congregation who have expressed either some difficulty with it or... That's not a huge number of people out of five or 600 people on a weekend. So always the you can't do it unless you advertise it for a couple of weeks thing really kind of hamstrings us. So people should kind of come and expect it. It's part of the church. It's been there for 5,000 years. On the other hand, we're not trying to kind of jam it on people. So what, here's what I want to do. If you're incense uh, reactive in some ways, what I'm watching is which way the smoke blows and how much it smells. And it, I'm right on it, so if it doesn't smell much to me, it can't possibly smell much to you. Now, what we are going to do at some point, not going to tell you in advance, we're going to put dry ice in the sensor, we're going to swing it, and we're going to watch who coughs. Because, <laughs> you know, we just want to know if it's real or not. This is, if you're a scientist, you can appreciate this. You know, we got it. We're, we're, it's a scientific study. If we put in dry ice and you cough, hey, it's on you, not us. 
Sorry. Is there anybody sensitive? The only people sensitive to dry ice are those muskies that Rich Wren brings home from Canada. They're the only ones who could possibly complain about the dry ice, okay? So we're watching. But I just, and I know people, there are some people who are perfume sensitive. I know that. But I got a group, of, I got a community of five or 600 who come on a regular basis. And what I want to do is get to normal with five or 600. And I, I realize, you know, I realize for most of you, incense isn't normal. I also give you the way of the world. This is how people are advertising, actually. This isn't like we're sneaking around. This is like, this is what we do. Um, yes. Yeah, that's the other side. Yeah, I find the incense quite, exactly. There are pe- I mean, when I smell it, I know I'm home. I mean, when I smell it, I know everything is going to be fine. And we talked about this. Your smell is your last sense to go. Everything else goes first. Your eyesight, your ear, your bad hip, that all goes first, right? But your, your, your smell is pretty much the last thing to go. We talked about that with anointing, but it's true for incense too. So anyway, the point, if it's really, really an issue, come and talk to me, and I promise you I'll listen, and I promise you I'm trying to adapt. Mrs. King, if we, if we go full blast, like, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do. Let me just give you an example. So for Christmas planning, here's what we're doing. I'll just tell you the kind of stuff that we think about. We want to have one service where you invite your friends, your pagan friends. That's going to be the first service. We also know, and so there won't be a Eucharist at that service, and, you know, there won't be, there won't be anything normally that would, that would alienate or be confusing, okay? So basically that's going to be like a Lessons and Carols. We also know that for you who are theologically informed, the kind of people who come to Bible study, you come for the Eucharist. And if you don't have the Eucharist on Christmas Eve, when are you going to have it? I mean, Easter Eve and Christmas Eve, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Supper is the great confession that the flesh of Jesus is here. It's right here. How could you not have I mean, it's in the manger, but it's not on the altar. I mean, that's the, so, so what we think, what, so Christmas Eve, it's like, you know, how big are we going to go? That's the kind of question. Because Christmas Eve, Easter Vigil, now, but the thing is, now we know we didn't offer it for you earlier in the evening, so we have to maybe draw back a little bit, although we do know you'll get it the next morning. So we can't quite figure out exactly what we're going to do. By the way, just for your planning purposes, so we're thinking all this stuff through new space. Um, Thanksgiving... On the eve, there's a service. There's no Thanksgiving Day service. Why do we do that? Because we don't need to have two because we got enough space that everybody can come in one, and we guess that more of you would be traveling Thanksgiving Day. Does that make sense to you? Now, it's a new tradition. Uh, You know, the whole tradition of two services came to St. John when Pastor Lesh would celebrate on Wednesday evening, and then he would go to his dad's congregation in Michigan, take all the kids, and they'd play their instruments, and he'd preach for his dad. That's where two came from. Um, but you know that's you know we don't have that anymore. So um, we it's a new place. We have a new church. So I'm just giving you the heads up. There will be a Thursday evening big blowout service with Wednesday, Wednesday evening. That's what I said, didn't I? No, <laughs> sorry, man. Uh, yeah, there'll be a big service on Wednesday evening. I'm sorry, Wednesday evening, but nothing then on Thursday. And here's another thing. So I'll give you another piece. We're trying to standardize. Now, as soon as I say this, I'm going to get it wrong. If we have an evening service not Saturday evening. We have an evening service. We're always trying to go at 7 o'clock. Help me out, Jonathan, Pastor Gaining. And if we have a daytime service, we decided we'd always go at 10. Is that right? Is that what we decided? Did we decide we'd always go at 10? 
So a daytime service, Christmas, Thanksgiving, any day we'd have a daytime service on an odd day, 10. Any evening service, Advent, Lent, whatever, 7. Did we do that on Christmas Eve then? Are we going 7 and 10? In Atlanta, we're going at 7 and 10? (laughs) Finally, your dream come true. (laughs) It's all going to come out someday. It's all going to come out. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we retain the normal thing on Christmas Day. This is an odd year, so. <laughs> You'll have the new normal. All right, so that, that all makes sense? So we're trying to figure it out. What we're trying to do is get you in a rhythm. It's going to take you some time. Man, it's hot in this room, is it not? I mean, I don't get hot, but man, this is a, I'd take a sweater off in this heat. Um, next thing, do you have in front of you, did anybody pick up the purple funeral thing? Somebody remind, I haven't had these out for years, although I'll give you one. Did you take one of these, anybody back there? Um, anybody need them? Looks like Jonathan or Martha will help you get them. We do have these around. If you, A lot of people asked about funerals last week after I talked about that. Can you flip me to the font picture, John? That's a good one right there. So remember we talked last week about your funeral. You can lie here if you want. We probably can figure out those black candles around you if you want. We'll bury you from there. We'll put your feet forward. We'll flip you around in the front when you come back. Um, these things are around if you want to pre-plan and, and, and give, uh, give us some information in advance. Basically, you know, the funeral comes right out of the, you know, right out, right out of the book. The one thing I didn't mention last week, you all know we have a funeral poll, right? So uh, traditionally, and many of you do this, uh, people are baptized in a white garment, And some of you, I mean, we've had people here with white garments that were 150 years old. One of the coolest ones I've ever seen was way longer than the kid, but it had every name embroidered um, of all all the family members who'd been baptized in it. That's really cool. It was very cool. And so, um, you know, that's a sense of family, or you have this sense of community, right? Well, um, the Paul, then, is the very first thing. And we read Romans, the text that we talked about. Don't you know that all of you have been baptized, have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You've been baptized into his death and into his resurrection. You'll share his new glory in heaven, his new life. We read that. We pull the pall over the top. Whatever happened during your life, your baptism stuck with you. And the last thing we say about you is, he was baptized. Which then goes to the whole thing about eulogies, what I talked about last week. A eulogy, you can make a guy sound so good that it's like he didn't need Jesus. What we say first is, this guy was baptized and forgiven by Jesus, and look at the good use the Lord had of him. And we do try to say that, but we don't say it the other way around. We don't talk about somebody as if they're so wonderful with no mention of Jesus, which often what happens in eulogies. Make sense? So here's the thing. Um, If you want to take one of these, you can. Basically, you know, you give us your name, address, all the things that people ask. Funerals are one of the very few things that need to be done spur of the moment in the church. There's very few spur-of-the-moment things. An emergency baptism, uh, last rites, and a funeral. But they come to us, and often, you know, there's just 48 hours, and people are shell-shocked. They don't quite know what to do. If you give us a little data in advance, we have a file of these, where you give us your name and all the stuff you want, your kids, your spouses, military, who we're supposed to tell, what the funeral home is, 
you know, if you have a pastor that you want uh, to do it, you know, a particular pastor will try to do that. Especially the two things we always ask you for in your funeral planning are biblical texts, a psalm, an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel, right? An epistle and a gospel. And then also hymns. What would you like to sing? Just as a safety tip, people always overestimate how well people will sing at their funeral. So every once in a while, somebody will say, okay, we want to sing, lift high the cross, a mighty fortress is our God, and for all the saints. And we're like, how many people will be there? About four, maybe ten. And we're like, and so what that means is Mueller and I are trying to pull off a solo, you know. And even in the new space, this is just not going to go well for you. So think about, you know, think about the space. Now, we do have some great soloists who can come and sing, and that's often a very nice a nice thing to do. But as you think about hymns, please, please, I'm going to tell you a true story. This is a true story. We once had a family who was fairly new to the congregation, and um, they had a death in the family, and we said, we were not, I'm just going to take the blame for it, we weren't clear enough, and we sort of said, have you got some idea for the music? And the guy said, first thing out of the box, he said, well, smoke on the water would be a good thing to lead with. <laughs> I kid you not. So that just tells you that we didn't kind of do our work, right? Because he thought the whole, I have, and I will say, I've also had a request for I did it my way as the sermon hymn. And I'm thinking, you know, I did it my way. I did it my way. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking C.S. Lewis, hell is when the Lord lets you have your way forever, right? So try to give us biblical texts and try to give us, um, try to give us some hymns and the rest will all work out. Take this if you want it uh, and off we go. Okay, questions about that? That kind of wraps up the funeral bit. Just any questions about any of that? Everybody good? All right, then we should finish up with just the, um, the little things from baptism. So if you're, fr- I mean, this is your test every time. Now, people will come in and say, um, you know, why is that great big font? And remember, you know, in theology or in, with your own faith, people wonder why you can't tell people about Jesus. It's because we just don't have a crisp answer. You've got to prepare it's like if you're about ready to tell your wife that you're going to the Super Bowl with all your high school friends, you'll want to get that story whipped into shape now. I mean, you'll want to practice that story. If it comes up, you know, you're going to want to bring it up over coffee, give a hint here or there, right? It's the same way. It's the same way. So if, you, if somebody walks in and you, they go, what in the world is that? You would say, well, it's round because... Yeah, and it's got six things because... Adam was a bad boy. That's right. And it's got eight because, yeah, it's the eighth, it's new birth on the eighth day. If Jesus was raised, you are raised. Each Easter vigil, if Jesus died, you died. If Jesus was raised, you're raised. If Jesus lives again, you live again. If Jesus kept his body, you keep your body. Whatever happened to Jesus, it happened to you. That's, that's the whole service of the Easter vigil, the night before, on Easter Eve. The whole service is just saying, if it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. So you should be able to walk in and say, and this is, you don't have to remember anything. When you look at it, you say, round things don't have a beginning or the end. That's heaven. And, you know, there's six sides on that. Adam was created on the sixth day, but he screwed everything up. It all went to the devil, 666. But Jesus comes again, and he rose on the eighth day, and here in this font, he gives it all to me. Every last bit of it. Whatever happened to him, this is why you know God the Father can't hate you, can't kill you, would never hurt you. 
Because you wear Christ's name. Brilliant little rendition from Render Unto Caesar. The text is about possession. Brilliant sermon. The text is about possession, and God possesses you. You know, He won't destroy you because you have Jesus' name on you, and you actually carry Jesus' wounds in you. You get the Eucharist, it's the tangible touch of Jesus. The wounds from the cross are put inside you. When, Jesus, when the Heavenly Father looks at you, there's always this thing about, oh, i got to say something, what are you going to say when you get to heaven? Don't say anything, just stand there. Stick your tongue out, go like this. Or this, just do this. You don't have to say anything when you get to heaven. It's an automatic, so long as you live within the liturgy. It's an automatic, why? You wear the name, it's like a barcode on your head. You know, you have the wounds of Jesus. When the Heavenly Father looks at you, he sees the wounds of Jesus. He sees the name of Jesus. For him to destroy you, he'd have to destroy his only son. And he doesn't do that. Because his only son was holy, and his only son has died once. Make sense? So all of that is here. Now, there's a couple of things we haven't talked about. Um, One is the notion of adoption. Uh, which is, as Paul, Paul, Paul uses adoption as a metaphor for how it is that Gentiles, like all of you, there's very few Jewish folks in the room. Here's what you always need to know. The church loves the Jews. The church has been stupid over the years about how it's taken care of the Jews. Here's what you need to know. Everybody in those readings today is Jewish. Big surprise. Jesus was Jewish. Okay. And all 12 disciples were Jewish, if you're not kind to the Jews, you're like, those are Jesus' people. It was a playground. They were playing kickball. Jesus got first pick. He took the Jews. Okay? So, I mean, you're the second pick. You're the kid who's standing around kicking the dirt, hoping you get picked. Okay? Congratulations. You got picked. How did that happen? Paul says the Gentiles got grafted in, is one way he talks about it. The other way he talks about it is the Gentiles got adopted. I will confess to you that I can barely understand adoption. It is the most magnificent thing when people take a child who's not their own child and treat him as their own child. I mean, that is just crazy good. That is as good as it can get. People who adopt children, they're at another level. That's a different kind of human being who can take a child, especially a child who might otherwise be lost or cast away or have a miserable life, can take a child and bring that child in and treat them just like their own. It's the most amazing image. People who adopt children, it's just, that's almost incomprehensible. I gave you this little thing, uh, this little handout about adoption, right? And if you have it, you know, I can read you a couple of lines. Um, But it's one of the ways the scripture talks. I like the picture of baptism as adoption. I'm an adoptive parent. You're an adoptive parent. You completely understand baptism. My twins didn't choose me. That's pure gospel. Jesus does the verbs. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. I mean, Jesus says, literally, you did not choose me. I chose you that you might live and bear fruit. He ne- he, they're not one of you who chose Jesus. Jesus chose you, and like an adoptive kid, you woke up one day and you learned to say, as, a, as a, an adoptive kid learns to say, Mommy, you know, you woke up one day and said, Jesus. But no adoptive kid chooses their parents. Parents choose the kid. Complete gospel. Okay, that's what this is. My twins didn't choose me. They didn't come knocking on my door asking me to be their father. They didn't invite me into their family. Just the opposite. I adopted them. 
It was my choice to bring them into the family. They had nothing to do with it. I didn't adopt them in because of what they could bring to me or my family. Jesus doesn't need anything from you or from me. He just likes people. He likes to love people. He likes people to be happy. So he brings you in, right there in the font. I adopted them because of what they needed. He adopts you because you have need. You're a bunch of damn sinners, just like me. Um, Well, I had a story to tell you, and I'm not going to tell you. There you go. Let me just say the story ends with, Pastors are just like everybody else, okay? You can fill in the blanks ahead of that as you want. (laughs) So um, they brought nothing but a garbage bag of clothes that didn't even fit right. They got a new name, an inheritance, new clothes, and a family. Prodigal son story, right? Somebody who has nothing, they're brought in. God adopts us into his family. He doesn't do this because of what we have to give him, but because of what he can give us. Although my children didn't choose to be adopted, they can always choose to unadopt themselves. People don't come to church every week or in danger of that. I mean, Jesus is long-suffering, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus gives gifts. Jesus baptizes you, and he puts his own body and blood into you, and he died for you, and he loves you. And people, here's the thing about us, we're just forgetful. I mean, if we don't do things over and over again, we just, we're so naturally self-centered, we just forget. We forget that what God has done for us. Part of the reason you come to church every week is just to get adjusted, just to remember what your story is. Here's your story. It's the very first thing we say. I'm a damn sinner. And then Jesus says, yeah, I love you, and I baptize you, and you belong to me, and here we go. That's great stuff. But if you don't come to church often, then you forget that you're a damn sinner, and then you think you're kind of self-sufficient, and then you kind of give yourself to the things of the world, and pretty soon you get kind of hard-hearted, and... Pretty soon you look like everybody else who's never been saved. Pretty soon it's like you've unadopted yourself. Okay, Don't let that happen. And if you have friends, real honestly, they need to come to church. I mean, to let somebody not come to church is to let them die a slow death. People need to come to church. If you have friends, and I'll just tell you, you know, partly we haven't talked a lot about this lately. Here's the reason we haven't talked a lot about it lately. Because all of you are a little off your game. You're all a little off balance. You know, we are too. Even when Kirby dropped me off this morning real early, she said, you know, it just feels odd turning left into the parking lot and not right. It's just like we're not, we're not used to being at this building yet, which is true. I come every day. I'm still not. It still isn't quite home. At some point, you know, and this is why we're trying not to change anything. We're just trying to tamp everything down for two or four or six months. We're just trying to tamp things down and get you all comfortable and happy, and you know, feeling good about things. So it's just like falling off a log. Yeah, that's my spot. That's where I belong. And here would be the next natural thing. I really like it, and you should come too. Is how you talk to your friends. Make sense? It's the easiest thing in the world. Like you should come and see the font. It's really cool. It's round on the top because round things are about eternity, and six is about Adam falling down, just like me. And eight is about Jesus rising from the dead and saving us. You know, you, me, we got that together. So we realize we have to get you comfortable and feeling good. We always knew there'd be this big pop. You get this big pop when you move into a place. Then you kind of have to settle in, and then you get the slow ascent. But you only get the slow ascent if you all can explain what's going on, which is why we're doing what we're doing. Make sense? You've got to be able to tell the story. You've got to say to your friends, I mean, here's the thing. If the pastor is dead boring, just turn and listen to the font gurgle. I mean, there's salvation in the gurgling. I mean, there's salvation in the movement. 
Living water, Holy Spirit, heals up sick people, drowns me, raises me, like Jesus, happened to Jesus, happened to me, forever and ever, amen. You should be able to talk that simply to your friends. And if you get to the point of talking to friends like that, you'll find out that that's not in their normal, that's not in their normal way they're talking. It's got to be the normal way you talk. There's 150 of you in the room. Okay? Your normal way of talking has to be, this is calm. This is peaceful. This is happy. This is kind. I mean, I'm just, I'm begging you. We all make mistakes. We all get it wrong. The great news is that we're forgiven and all that stuff gets swept away. We create our own community. We create our own environment, not of ourselves, but of Christ. Make sense? And that's what, as soon as we can get you comfortable, you'll get other people comfortable too. Got it? Yes, please. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, so um, let me see if I can sum up what you said. When, people, when you say to people, do evangelism, or you talk, when you call it evangelism, people get nervous. They frankly get hives. Because nobody, nobody wants to talk about that because it feels, what does it feel like? It feels fake. Exactly right. It feels stilted. And in this, and in this environment, I had a, some of you know, maybe I, I didn't make a big deal out of it, but I had a, I had a Yaley at my house last week. There's a guy from Yale Never met him before. He shows up at my house on a bicycle last Sunday night, and he stayed a couple of nights. He's biking across. He's biking from L.A. to New York City and back over the course of a year doing some stuff. And, um, you know, so he stayed with Kirby and I. And so it was really interesting because he's, uh, he's not me, and yet he was me. So he's a Yale MDiv, you know, just graduated, 11, but he's done a ton of stuff like – uh, he was a musician. When he was, a, he went to Vanderbilt Divinity School. So he played with Willie Nelson for a year, toured, took a year off seminary. I did that too. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I'm like, he said, I went to Indonesia to surf for half a year. I'm like, how'd you figure that out? Well, I sold a song to Grey's Anatomy, and I made enough royalties off it that I could go surf in Indonesia. I'm like, this is fun. So we started talking about, you know, his church in L.A. They meet in a modern art museum. You know, they rent here. You rent a high school space. They rent space in a modern art museum. I'm like, how does that work for people? How do they do with the space? And, you know, he said, people get really attached to the space. Now, now think bells are starting to go off. I'm like, yeah, people get really attached to a space. What are they like? They find particular things. They don't want to move. They want to talk things over. They start to get comfortable. They want to ask questions. What's most important? You, you couldn't have done this better. Well, you know, what's most important is, tell me what's most important. What did he say? Community. Perfect. Led with community. What else did he say? Beauty was unbelievable. You meet, he said, we don't meet in high school. We meet in an art museum. Interesting. Beauty, what else is important? What else did he say? What was the number one thing he said? Authenticity. He said, we can smell fake a mile away. I mean, he's saying exactly all the things. So he's part of, he would identify himself as a musician in an emerging church. You know, he would identify, which is... Exactly opposite, but so far opposite that it actually comes back around. And what he talked about, no lie, is this community hungering for liturgical worship. He said, well, we have a liturgy. And he explained what the liturgy was. It was, you know, a couple of songs and then, you know, something, some scripture and then a sermon. And, you know, but it's like, it's this, everybody's longing for the same thing, that first bit well, that's what we need to be, and you need to be able to explain it. As soon as you talk about it as if it was another thing, then it doesn't work. So um, Mary Poppins, the great theologian Mary Poppins, who said, (laughs) 
the first thing you need to, how's it go, Gaining? Have you got it in your head? Is that exactly how it goes? He said, the first thing you need to, oh, the first thing I need to explain to you, the first thing I need to explain to you is that I never explain anything. Remember Mary Poppins? Which in theology would be the definition of primary theology. What we do in our place is called primary theology. We don't explain anything. We just do it, and then it hits you or it doesn't hit you, and you catch up or you don't catch up. We explain it here, but we never explain it there, because the first thing you need to know is, the first thing we need to explain is that we never explain anything. Why? Because it insults you? Because it distracts you? Because it suggests that we're not a community? I know things and you don't know things? It's inauthentic? Breaks the flow? It's not beautiful? Now we'll all stand up and sing hymn 852. Please note that we'll sing the first and the third verse, and we'll rise on the fifth. Hit number 852. 852. It'll be 8.52. The first, I mean, by the time you said all that, it's like, you're killing me. Leave me alone, right? So the point of all this, and I do have one, is that what we're trying to do is I'm giving you the opportunity to just walk in and say, why you got this great big font here? Because baptism is a great big thing. And you don't have to say anything, but you can just say to somebody, we got a great big font because baptism is a great big thing. Which now I'm going to go to the next thing I was going to say to you, but I'm going to say it anyway because it fits here. The thing we've not talked about is baptism, although I've been talking about it for 15 minutes, is that baptism is a threshold. You know, did your dad ever say to you, we're not heating the outdoors? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in an HVAC home, Okay. But I can remember some of my, I mean, my dad would say, I love you, and uh, here's your allowance, and we're not heating the outside, okay? What, what is that? What is that? That's, there's a threshold, right? There's a door. There's a gateway. This is it, friends. This line right here. The only reason this font is not farther back is because it would have been under the balcony and nobody could have been able to see it. You'd have felt claustrophobic. The only reason it's pushed, but it's supposed to be the first thing. This is, in front of this line right here, it's a different world. And you're a different person. So whatever's happened during the week, whatever you said to your wife, whatever rub you had with your friends, whatever went badly, when you cross that line, you're a different person in a different community, living a different way. Pastors are just like everybody else. Everybody else is just like pastors. We all got stuff that needs to be forgiven. We're going to forgive it, and then we're going to live as if it's forgiven. Right? Why? Because on the other side of that circle, we're in heaven. What happens is that heaven comes to earth. I mean, that guy swinging the incense, if he's out on the street, he gets arrested. (laughs) In the church, everybody's going, yeah, that's normal. That's heaven on earth. Read Isaiah 6. Read Revelation. Revelation 9. Whenever you pray, (laughs) this is for you who are nervous about it, just so you know, read it. Whenever you pray, incense is lit in heaven. The prayers of the saints ascend as incense in heaven. So people in heaven go like this. Holy cow, Strutzel's praying again. That's what they do. That's what happens. Read it. Read the text. So when you cross this line, you've gone from one world to another, which is why you can say to people, friends, gently, kindly, hey, that's not us, Hey, don't we, we don't deal with each other that way. Church has a particular way of being. The stuff that works out in the world doesn't work in here because we're given to law and gospel, because we all know that we're squared up, because we've all been baptized, 
because you're Jesus to me and I'm Jesus to you. Luther's words were little Christ to each other. It's a new place, whatever is going on out in the world, which is why you can't fight in church. I'm just being serious. I mean, you can't, people fight in the, why come to church and have exactly the same experience you have out on the street? Everything on the street, especially now with the, with the economy and jobs and people feel, everything is tense, everything is roiled, everything is chaotic. When you come to church, people come to be forgiven, people come to live at peace, people come to taste heaven. That's why they come. Which is why it takes a tremendous amount of self-discipline. You don't have to screw it up, but the Lord, screw up the self-discipline. The Lord gives you a gift and you live within the gift. You say to yourself, I'm not going to live the way I live outside. Whatever I do all week long, even if I can't get it right out there for an hour, I'm going to come here and try to get it right. And I'm just telling that's not fake, that's authentic. Because this is who you are. You're this person, you're not that person. You're the person on the other side of that font. And so your whole life is lived between this line and that chalice up there, that cross, your whole life is between altar and font. That's who you are. And when you walk outside, the discipline is to carry out. First is to live it, of course, inside the church, to live in forgiveness. But then the next thing is to carry it out and expose the world to that, to the tangible touch of Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not telling you anything new, but you just have to, the building now says exactly what we've always said. You're a new person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Christ is a technical word for the baptized. It comes from Romans 6. I mean, you all know this. In Romans 6, anyone who's baptized is in Christ. In Christ becomes the code word for baptism. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, if he's in Christ, he's a new creation. So you live between the altar and the font. I mean, you look around the room. Look at the people left and right of you. There might have been days when you didn't even like the people to your left and right. Guess what? Tough. <laughs> okay? Look left and look right. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know why? They have the same name. Right? They have the same name. You all got the same name. It's more important than the blood that runs in your veins. It's the same name. You all have the same name. You all bear the name of Jesus. You're all the same family. So you've all been adopted in. You've all crossed this threshold. You live in a new place. Now, what I don't want you to do is to give a handout to your friends and say, here's some stuff you need to memorize. Here's what I do want you to do to your friends. Be authentic with them. Be beautiful to them. Be consoling to them. And when they come in, you don't have to quiz them. You just say... We got a great big font because baptism is a great big deal. It's a life-changing deal. We're trying to tell people that the biggest factor in their life is baptism. Now, of course, when I get to the altar, I'm going to say to you, the biggest factor in your life is the Eucharist, right? Yeah, I know I'm going to say that. But Jesus is swimming in the water, and then he towels off during the sermon, and he goes up to the front. That's what happens, okay? That's what's happening. So the building lets you tell your friends what's going on, and it actually reminds you. You can't hate the person. You can't even be angry with the person. You can't even be rude to the person. You can't even be pressing on the person next to you because they, they swum the same water that you swum. They live in the same house. Make sense? And all of that is before you've ever entered the door. You're not even in yet, and all of that is to be said. You okay? Questions about any of that? 
So it's not a matter of you've got to memorize a lot of stuff. you just got to be able to walk in and say, oh, that's round because it's eternity, and that's six because that's Adam's number. And the sixth day actually went very, very badly. But Jesus came, and eight is a good day. He gets resurrected on Sunday, and he'll take you for a swim if you want. And he fishes with a barbed hook, you know, so it's very hard to shake him. You know, when kids go bad, you know, when your kids go bad, I'll tell you, Jesus fishes with a barbed hook. When my kids go bad, you need to say the same thing. Jesus holds on. He fishes with a barbed hook. It's very difficult to shake him. It can be done, but it really takes a lot of work. So today, um, you know, Steve Jobs gets baptized, or gets, gets, uh, has the memorial today at Stanford Chapel. I would love to be, I would love to be at that. Maybe they'd let me speak. We could say something about his baptism and his confirmation. That would be interesting, you know? I mean, the Lord fishes with a barbed hook. Never despair of people. Never despair. I know despair is natural. Hell's natural. Sin's natural. Meanness is natural. Don't despair. Don't despair of your own kids, your friends. Slip in the good stuff when you can, and the building helps you do that. The building always wins. It's why you don't build a pole barn. It's why, you know, that previous... John, I don't know if you can flip back. Can you flip back to that thing, the little advertisement? Well, that too, the helpful thing. But, I mean, look at this building. That's substance. You know, that's mystery. That's art. That's beauty. That's otherworldly. That all that single picture says all that stuff. That's authentic. Why? Because it's from 1099 or from 99. All right. Questions about any of that stuff? Because next time around we'll kind of be done with the font. I think I'm, um, I think I'm done pretty much in some twisty, turny way through the stuff that I gave you. Um, oh, I should say something about the Paschal candle. One more thing. Yes, please. I'm sorry. So you're telling me to go longer or go shorter? What's that? Go shorter. Oh my gosh, I was going till 11. I'm on the wrong clock. See, Jonathan, I was really just going to keep going. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. New rhythm, right? Okay, sorry. Bye.